Welcome to the Alpha Dude Podcast with Michael Pulser. What would it be like if you knew that you were unstoppable and you could live life on your terms? Better yet, how good would it feel knowing that on your deathbed, you had fulfilled all your potential and more? Life on Earth has a beginning and an end. It's what you do in the middle that counts. Let's look at how to make that part even better. So I was working with two different people. One person was extremely nervous about social situations. Clinically, you could say they had social anxiety. Another one, he was just really worn out from his interactions and his job involved dealing with hundreds of people every single day. And he found that this drained him and he also felt anxious and stressed at the end of the day. Both of these people seemed, in my opinion, to be on the spectrum of having some form of social distress. On one end, you had the person who was absolutely terrified by the situation, and the other person didn't actually enjoy the situation, and the more he did it, the worse it got. So this is a terrible affliction, and if you're suffering clinically with this, maybe you need professional help. But if you're suffering a mild version, perhaps this may help because it helped the two people that I was talking about. I took in their story and listened to what they were doing and how it was affecting their life. And then I realized one thing that they had in common. And that was what the other person was saying to them or looking at them or how they were perceiving them was impacting the person directly and deeply. In other words, the person that they were speaking to they felt like they were being judged at all times. So this made it so the judgment built up and built up in the case of the second person who had that demanding job. And in the first case, the person was so terrified of the judgment that he just didn't actually go ahead and embrace it. CBT or cognitive behavior therapy is the prime modality that psychologists use in order to deal with this. This basically looks at the thought patterns of what people do and logically gets you to work through it. For example, it gets you to question your thoughts and evaluate them. And then once you've examined them, you can actually see that they're irrational. Now, this is fantastic. And over a course of many sessions, it's got great evidence-based results. However, the fact is that in the moment, we often need something that's tangible, something that's there that you can deal with. And the main thing that helped these people was from the book, Attract, Love, Repel, Hate. Now, that book is at Amazon. It's on sale for a dollar or it's free if you're on Kindle Unlimited. But just to let you know briefly what it's about is that if you are in a situation and you're not even like these guys, and you're dealing with people on a social level, and then you feel that little twinge of social anticipation build up. So it's not so much anticipation, but it turns into anxiety. When you feel that thought of judgment, when you feel that unease, when you feel that just uncontrollable, weird feeling that it's not okay, this book teaches you exactly how to make it all okay. And in less than 50 pages with illustrations, it's amazing. It's basically set on the premise that the same tool that helps you to 
protect yourself is the same tool that helps you to attract people to you, attract the good things of other people to you. Now, it's a simple little concept, and I'm being a little bit cheeky by not giving it all away because I really want you to check it out. And if you do, you will see that the way to move ahead with this is by being totally authentic and also having a technique that just makes it so that everything is really easy. It's like having oil or lubrication that just makes absolutely everything much better. So if you get a chance, check out Attract, Love, Repel, Hate. I know this sounds like a total advert, but honestly, I can't explain how much great feedback I've had from people who have tried this technique. The two people that I mentioned at the start, the first one, he is now in a social role and dealing with things. And the second one, whenever that feeling comes up, because it comes up for all of us, he just tries it back on and then he's found that it's suddenly able to manage everything, not only just manage with it, but thrive and enjoy it. And it really leveled things up to the next level. So if you get a chance, check out the book, Attract Love, Repel Hate. Anytime you overcome something, the rewards are massive and overcoming social anxiety will pay massive dividends. So really check it out. Then you do, you will find that you have another success that you can rely on. You build on these successes, you have that metacognition. You think about your thinking and suddenly you realize that, hey, you are on the road to success, as cliche as it sounds. And the fact that lives are built around this process. Think about it. All the best people that have had massive successes often come from failure. Abraham Lincoln, the greatest president ever, went into the army as a captain and came out as a private, failed in business all the time and became the greatest US president ever. J.K. Rowling, who submitted the Harry Potter books, was rejected more times than you can count. Beethoven was said to be awkward when he started to play music. Michael Jordan, cut from his basketball team. Stephen King, 30-plus rejections for his first book. There are so many different people who have failed and then grew on to different successes. And our next guest, Chris Hunter, is on to describe his story, which is a classic story, overcoming failure and heading on the road to success. I hope you enjoy. Good morning, and uh, thank you for having me on the show. My name is uh, Chris Hunter, a.k.a. Tuna of the Yardbird Tuna podcast, and um, I've experienced some things in my life, and I, I had to go through some transformations of my own, and um, I guess I'll start in the beginning. So I was born into a family in a, in a relatively poor working-class neighborhood in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Um, my mother is a pretty bad uh, drug addict at that point in her life, and my father didn't want to deal with it no more, so he went his own way. And um, while, you know, while my father was away, my sister and I had some bad things happen to us, and I don't want to go too much into detail about that, but I think it permanently changed my life and the way I look at things. Um, 
for a while there, it, it was a, a bad experience, you know, and uh, I had a, a real failure, a real fear of success. You know, I really struggled with um, believing that I was worth something more. And uh, so I had a hard time throughout school as a young kid. And um, my father did the best he could. Once this all came about and everybody uh, heard that this happened, uh, my sister and I were immediately removed from my mother's house. And my father gained custody of us. And he remarried to a wonderful woman. And they tried their best to... Uh, repair some of the damage, but it just, uh, it, it still stuck with me, you know? So uh, I went through school and I, and I struggled with my identity. I struggled with confidence. I struggled with um, believing that I could succeed. Uh, so I had a, a real bad anger and depression problem. Uh, after school, I went into the U.S. Army. Uh, I'm a U.S. Army veteran. I served from 1999 to 2003. And uh, even in the military, I, uh, a whole lot of tough love. <laughs> so um, I didn't necessarily succeed either. In fact, uh, I do recall some of the advice I was given by the recruiter prior to going to basic training. They basically said, listen, the best thing you can do is just keep your head down and stay in the pack, and that way nobody notices you, which was basically my entire life prior to that, too. Don't be highly successful and don't be a complete failure. Just stay in the middle where nobody can notice you. And um, that kind of stuck with me, and that's basically how I served in the military, too. I didn't overachieve. I didn't necessarily fail, but I just did you know, the, the bare minimum, I'll say. So I was no great war hero or nothing special. And um, I left the military in 2003. And at that point, I had been um, basically pretty scarred by drug addiction because of my family members and the things that I've experienced. So I was pretty fearful of it. But what I wasn't ready for was the prescribed medications that are narcotics and highly addictive. So I broke my leg on a motorcycle shortly after getting out of the military and immediately found opioids and uh, some, some other medications as well. At that point, I didn't understand that doctor-prescribed medications could be just as addictive as street drugs. And I fell really hard into it. I was drinking pretty bad, and I was taking massive amounts of uh, opioids, anti-anxiety meds, sleeping meds. I was taking medication for, um, supposedly because I thought I had ADHD, but it was really just legalized methamphetamine. And, um, you know, like I was falling into this really bad habit, you know? And uh, I was working this dead-end job. I worked in a body shop fixing cars, you know. And um, I, I had goals. I had dreams. And I wanted to succeed. But I didn't know how. And I was, I was working this job. I had this crappy apartment. I, I couldn't manage my finances. Um, just everything about my life was completely unmanageable. And, and more importantly, 
I was afraid to succeed. I was afraid to actually do better, you know, because then it meant that I, you know, I don't know. I was afraid. I can't really explain why. Um, so I was okay. I was kind of comfortably okay with being a drug addict, even though I didn't really want to be that. Nobody wakes up and says, yeah, I want to be a junkie drug addict and do the bare minimum for the rest of my life. But admittedly, in this neighborhood where I come from, it's a tough blue-collar town, a lot of construction workers, a lot of industrial workers, mechanics, uh, the service industry. My neighborhood is full of working class, as I would call them, people. And uh, drugs and alcohol addiction is, is pretty serious in my neighborhood. And therefore, it was comfortable. It seemed normal to me. This is what everybody does. You go to work, you do your 40 hours, and then you go to the bar for the rest of the night, and you just do this for the rest of your life. And you need to find acceptance in the fact that this is all you will ever be, you know? And there was a part of my soul that just didn't believe that, but that was my battle within myself, is understanding that uh, maybe this is all that I will ever be, and maybe this is I will never have an opportunity to get anything more. So uh, things progressively got worse. My addiction got worse. I started to not be able to pay my bills because I was just spending my money on drugs and drinking rather than paying my bills and being financially responsible to the point where it got so bad where I was nearly homeless. I sold all of my tools uh, I sold almost everything that I owned and purchased at that time that was worth any value, and I was nearly homeless. Um, I think that the, the rock-bottom moment that I had is that I, I severely disappointed my family. Um, I was supposed to be in my little brother's wedding on October 14th, 2010, and... I was so bad uh, that I didn't make it to his bachelor party, and apparently we had a really bad argument, and I was, uh, I was highly intoxicated, so I don't recall any of it, but I insulted his now wife, and I insulted him, and I insulted my family, and I embarrassed myself badly, and I woke up to news, uh, a, a voicemail on my phone where my brother said to me, do not come to my wedding. You know, I'll find somebody else to be the best man because I was supposed to be his best man. Don't come to my wedding. Don't come as a guest. Don't come anywhere near me, him. He said this to me. Uh, I was, I was the outcast at that point and my family wanted nothing to do with me. They were disgusted with my, uh, everything. They were disgusted with me and they didn't want to deal with it no more. And at that point, I think I realized that, uh, that I need to do something different. Um, I was severely depressed. And up until that point, I, uh, I honestly was so bad that I did attempt to overdose a few times. And, uh, obviously I did not succeed, but I, I did attempt to, to take 
way more than my tolerance with, um, with the intentions of never waking up. And it didn't work out, and not too many people know that. But I did attempt suicide a few times. And uh, at this moment, when my brother gave me this news, I, I went out back of the house that I was staying in because there was train tracks there. And I sat on those train tracks, and I was basically waiting and hoping a train would come by and, and kill me. And um, my mother is a recovering addict, and she had been checking on me every day at that point for the last several years because she was very concerned with, with how bad I was getting. And um, she called me as I was sitting on those train tracks, and I started crying. And I started to explain to her everything that was happening. And uh, she said, Chris, are you done yet? Are you finally done yet? Are you ready to try something different? And uh, I was, and I told her that I was. And uh, because I'm a veteran, I have the uh, opportunity to go to the VA hospital and, and do some therapy. And I can, they also have a substance abuse program. And my mother knew that, and she suggested that we drive up there, and I, I checked myself in. So that's what we did. Um, she left work that day, drove down to where I was, and uh, I had this epiphany as we were driving back. It just rained. I remember it being, it was, uh, it was something different, you know? I was in her passenger seat crying my eyes out because I just was exhausted and didn't know how to live, and I just was ready to quit, you know? And as we were driving to the VA hospital, which was about 45 uh, minutes away, I remember seeing this reservoir. We drove along the side of it, and prior to me getting clean, I wouldn't have noticed something like that. I wouldn't have cared. I was, uh, the small things were insignificant to me. You know, I didn't know how to appreciate a beautiful scene. I didn't know how to appreciate a beautiful moment, a good conversation with somebody. I just didn't appreciate anything. And I suddenly had this awareness. I looked at the, the reservoir through the trees as we drove by, and I just remember imagine, thinking that it was, it was beautiful, you know, and that Everybody else is doing this normal thing called life, and I'm not. And I don't know why I can't do it. So, so we got to the VA hospital, and I checked myself in, and I spent about two or three months there. I think it was, I think it was probably about two and a half months, and uh, that was the beginning of my change. That was when everything had to change. And I knew it, and I knew that it was going to be difficult, and I didn't know what I was getting involved in, which was probably a good thing, because ignorance is bliss, and I wasn't aware of how much work this was going to take. But here I am nine and a half years later with a beautiful family that has never seen me high or drunk. Um, I'm, I'm a relatively responsible 
Uh, I consider myself a success. I do a very unique job. I inspect cranes. I climb cranes and I look all over them and make sure that they're safe to work on construction sites. And um, for fun, I do a podcast. And um, so my, my fear of success was a progression. Let me, let me tell you about that. So I got clean, which was a first success. That was an amazing moment in my life. And I wasn't, I suddenly became aware that maybe I can do more than I ever thought I could, you know? And that seed was planted back in the military. The military taught me that if we tell you to do push-ups for an hour, you will say, no, I can't. So they pushed me to know that, yes, you can. It is going to hurt. It's going to be suffering. It's going to be tiring. But you can do anything that you possibly want if you're willing to push yourself further than what you think you can do at this moment. And when I got clean, I think I realized, uh, I, I reawoken that part of me, you know. I, I got clean. I didn't want to get high no more. I started attending a 12-step program as soon as I got out of the VA hospital. I, I restarted my life. I, uh, I didn't associate with the people that I did prior to that because I needed to do something different, and I was aware of that. And being around them, I was going to fall back into the same routine. So I was, I was pretty regularly uh, attending my 12-step program. I did it probably seven days a week for a couple years. I don't even know. And um, eventually developed good habits. Prior to me getting clean, I, uh, I hated fishing. <laughs> and nowadays, it's one of my favorite activities to do. It's very relaxing. It's very peaceful. Even when I don't catch fish, it's just something about sitting on a beach quietly by myself. Uh, it's peaceful. So um, in the beginning when I got clean, anyway, I keep diverting from my point, is uh, this, this fear of success. Uh, so I got clean, and um, I needed a better job. I needed something different because my career was also a huge part of my life where I, I just felt unsuccessful. Um, so I eventually applied for the welding apprenticeship at the Philly Shipyard, um, and I got approved. I got uh, accepted into their program, and uh, this was like my first big break. And I remember this feeling. Um, I went and I did these interviews, and I was always really good at explaining uh, myself in an interview, but then I would always fall short when it came to actually performing the way I told the employer that I could. And I remember at this point when I did my interviews for the Philly Shipyard to be a welder, I remember telling them the same spiel that I always told anybody else is that uh, I'm a great worker and I'm going to be, you know, wonderful and you're going to love me and it's going to be, it's going to be fantastic. I'm going to make good money and you're going to make money from me. It's a great deal. And at this point, I remember thinking, this is a real job. This is a real career that I can, I can sustain and now I actually have to perform. I need to do good, you know. Otherwise, it'll be the same thing as I always did before is just get a job for a few months or a year and then flunk out and just either quit or get fired uh, and leave on bad terms. 
and I was done with that. So I, uh, I started working down at the Philly shipyard. I attended their apprenticeship program for welding and, and shipbuilding. And I graduated within three years, I graduated. Um, and that was another success. Now I was a full-time employee at the shipyard making good money. And, um, I ended up staying there another two years after that until I came upon this career that I have now. And the career that I have now was also a huge success in my life. It was a paradigm shift. I went from being a, a production employee. Um, up until this point in my whole life, I was paid to carry heavy things, to sand cars, to push a broom, to tighten bolts, to weld things together and burn myself. I was always a grunt, you know, as I like to call it. And when this job came along, somebody was finally willing to pay me for my knowledge rather than how tight I could make the bolts. And that was, that was a, a scary moment in my life as well. I, I remember thinking, uh, maybe I'm not smart enough. Maybe I can't do this job. Maybe I can't remember the regulations and the standards for these cranes and I'm going to fail, you know? And just as I did when I, you know, applied at the shipyard and I proved myself, I did the same thing here in this career now that I'm in. And I like to believe that I'm, I'm a, a pretty respectable crane inspector in my area. I think that I have great customers and clients that respect my, my opinion and I believe that I have proved myself. I think that uh, I think that I am successful, and I've overcome this fear of success. And I don't know where my career is going to go. I don't. But I'm no longer afraid of a new challenge, and I'm certainly not afraid to succeed anymore. I, uh, my wife and I have in this process gotten our finances together we've purchased a rental property where we currently reside and now we're working on buying our forever home and then once we own our forever home we want to continue to buy um, fixer-uppers and either rent them out or flip them and my daily job is is great but i'm i'm uh, a workaholic i i can't stop moving i want to raise my child in a better neighborhood than i grew up in under better conditions and do the best I possibly can to show her that the world is not as ugly as I have experienced. So, um, I don't know. I hope that this is, uh, what you're looking for, Michael. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, again, if you're interested in some crude jokes and some, uh, intellectual conversations, check me out on Yardbird Tuna. Uh, I will ad advise right off the bat it is explicit i do curse a lot um so if that's not your thing i'm not insulted that you don't you just keep on scrolling right past it so uh anyway thank you very much and uh, have a great day hope you enjoyed the podcast if so rate it from the place you downloaded it for any questions send an email to michaelpulser at gmail.com